0: What is an A player? It is someone who possesses the attitude of curiosity, connection, and total commitment to the vision. The work we do with our clients helps them both be A players and fill their organizations with A players. This is a segment of the Naked Leadership Podcast where you'll get to know the A players of our team at Take New Ground. You'll get to see firsthand their brilliance, talent, and commitment as we walk and talk in areas of their expertise. Hello my people, this is Chad. Today I get to sit down with my good friend, Caitlin Zaremba associate partner at TNG. Caitlin is an organizational psychologist specializing in talent assessment and leadership development. Her pragmatic and straight shooting approach to an often slippery and vague sector of this work is a breath of fresh air. In this conversation, Caitlin and I sit down to talk about her three essential practices in order to invest in the people on your team. In this conversation, Caitlin and I go on an unexpected tangent about whether or not a trial period for a new high is a good idea or a bad idea. I'll let you listen to find out where we land, but it was a really fun conversation, and I can't wait for you to listen. Let's dive in. Taylor, my friend, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Ever since you sent me the top... My... my the wheels in my brain have been turning. Ever since you t- sent me the topic to this conversation, which was, like, a week and a half ago, maybe even two weeks ago, so I've been so excited to sit down with you and and open this up and even um just bring people up to speed. We've even been talking before we hit record and I was like, well, let's stop. Let's let's bring <laughs> this to the conversation because this is the good stuff, right? Because I think our at least my tendency, I'll speak for myself, my my tendency is to come with some nicely packaged idea and what you were doing you know, before we hit record was really bringing up a lot of the nuances of what it is that we're going to talk about so i wanted to push pause on that and save it so that we could really dance in the nuance and in the gray rather than like look like we have this like perfectly built beautiful picture of the topic that we're going to talk about so anyway that was quite an introduction kate lishoremba our our resident shrink how are you <laughs>
1: Oh my God, that's so funny that you call me that. <laughs>
0: like, i was my mom- that and I was like, I wonder how she'll like
1: it. <laughs> I accept it from you. Uh, I guess it depends on who's saying it. That's my, my mom will always talk to random strangers and be like, My daughter's a shrink. And I'm like, What? What is that about? Like, it doesn't feel
0: right. Um, but it that's feels like I wanted to say it because I knew there might be some e- uneasiness there with it.
1: Yeah, it's all good. Um, but yeah, I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this. You're right. There's so much nuance. I think that's the hard part about our field in general, both in terms of like coaching, leadership. Like we deal with these really broad, complex, sometimes you know, oftentimes topics. But I'm a huge fan of simplifying where possible. So, like, you know, I sent you this outline of like, we should do these three things. Yes, and then I start thinking about it, and I'm like, "Oh, this is so dumb. How can you boil leadership down to three things? Like, it's more complicated than that." But I think we can. What we got to is, we can do both. We can say, like, keep these three principles in mind, but also, like, you know, think about the nuance of how executing them looks and works. So,
0: yeah, and And that's the. I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna just extend that frame just a little bit. So we're going to talk about three essential practices for talent management. Now, mm-hmm. that's our like clickbaity title for the. That's the that's the click-baity title for the episode that I came up with. There's a few problems I have with that already. Um, mm-hmm. It's specifically the term talent management. It just like makes me want to barf um, <laughs> because these are human beings that we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where the premise falls apart is that Mm -hmm. we are human beings dealing with human beings who are complex systems and, you know, of emotion and goals and vision and ailments and blah, 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 blah. So to like boil it down, be like, these are the three things. So we are gonna talk about the three things and I still think they're important. And they they fall in like the tips and tricks category, um, which we typically, steer away from because of all the complexity and nuance that exists but we're still gonna we're gonna lay them out there but then as they Mm -hmm. come up for you my request from you is just like hey also bring up the complex complexity of it let's explore that because tips and tricks are only as good as the person using them they're only as effective as the leader who has done the work with themselves and their people in order to create the trust and the culture and, you know, all of that sort of stuff that allows these tips and tricks to be effective. So if you're a listener of this podcast, you've probably been on a journey of developing your leadership. Good for you. That's fantastic. That is what's going to enable the tips and tricks to be effective. Absolutely. Anything you want to add to that?
1: No, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I th- You know, I spend a lot of my time in my days interviewing people for, you know, both on both ends of the equation, the hiring managers, the C-suite leaders who are looking for, you know, top talent to come in and, and join their mission and vision and do a great job. And then the people, the, you know, hundreds, thousands of people maybe by now, talk about how they think about their work, what motivates them, how they, you know, how they show up and be effective. And so it's, like, tricky. It's harder than you think, you know. I don't think we're as good as this as we say we are. But yet there are these, like, common practices that if you master them, if you can figure out how to, you know, do the art and science of leadership, you have a chance. You have a better chance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's much more like an impromptu dance than it is like a, a rehearsed performance. Right. And, and so actually I love, we're going to dive into the first, the first point of this talent management. And when, when we say the word talent management, what are we talking about? If we were to like put a humanness on that phrase. Yeah.
1: Great point. I've never, ever heard that you know i come from that world so like we talk we use that phrase all the time um but it's i think really what it is hmm i want to say it's like engagement like how do you draw on a person and engage them and make them like excited to be there you know recognize their gifts lift them up get the best out of them you know, they feel fulfilled in the work. It's just, how do you engage people for the long haul? You know, because oftentimes, we're not trying to get someone in and out with quick results. We're looking f- for people to join our tribe, be excited about it, and do great work. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, it's really hard to motivate people and engage them over a long period of time.
0: Yes. I, th- I as you are talking about, yes to all of that for me like if to put it if i were to put it simple talent management is how we call people up to the vision yeah mm-hmm. right so we're finding the right people and then we're creating a space where they can flourish with the talents that they bring where they can be autonomous in their contribution but also integral integral to the team so like i just see it as like enrolling and calling them up into the vision of what, you know, the greater thing that we're working towards. And I, and there's also a, an element of that of how it contributes to their vision, co- contributes I... to their interest. Um, and so there's all of that complex. Well, the one of the things that stuck out to me when you sent this topic to me is that we are poor, we we are poor judgments of character <laughs> More so than we think we are. So the first point is to have a data-driven approach to, um, to hiring, to acquisition, um, and recruitment. So talk, I, and, and I know like our last conversation together was all about assessment. Mm-hmm. How to right. use it, when not to use it, or, what, or, or when it can hurt a culture, when it helps a culture, all a really good conversation. I got so much out of it. So we're not gonna spend a ton of time on this, but I I wanna hear you talk about this idea that we are actually poorer judges of character than we think <laughs> we are.
1: Yeah, a lot of us will claim to like read people really well and be intuitive in that sense, you know, I always laugh. A lot of people I talk to, you know, like party, like small talk, is like, oh, psychologist. Like I've always wanted to do that and I think I'm, you know, and Um, I think on some level we have a basic understanding of one another, but there is some really fascinating research out there. Um, You know, that book I recommended to the team of Talking to Strangers. I love it. It's so good, like he really illustrates how we can interact with someone and take away two completely different stories, narratives, messages, assumptions, you know, about what's happening. And so having data, you know, another thing that happens often in organizations is reputations get formed quickly and they get held on to, they're held on, they're like cemented in the culture without updating the file, you know? So it's like you make one discretion, you do one kind of like mistake or maybe you're learning and you show up a little like clunky at first and then over time you get your bearings. And sure, there's some recognition of that, but sometimes that, you know, that feedback or that, you know, sentiment of like, oh, this person's just not a very critical thinker can stick with them for a long time when we don't really know, you know, if that's changed over time or not. So we should be assessing, we should be using some sort of objective measures, whether through assessment, but also, um, um, you know, through, I don't know, referrals, references, like having more data points to determine what someone's value is, getting more deep with them on their experience and how you know they are progressing, like learning from them. And we just don't do a really, we don't lean into that as much as I think we should.
0: Yeah, and it's like, I think about interviews, right? And, and the weight that we have put on the interview process. Mm-hmm. Right Where it's like one or a few people are going to assess this person, yeah from an hour, maybe not even an hour conversation and then make a decision based off of that. That is the yeah. that I mean, what you're talking about, what does it do to the idea of interview or what role does mm-hmm. interview play in this?
1: Let me just tell you that people are both i can't believe i'm about to say this
0: yeah yeah the
1: majority of people are not good interview are not good interviewees
0: oh they're terrible
1: terrible they don't show up their best selves you know that it it is astonishing to me to be honest you know given how many i do the percentage of ones that i was like wow that was a great interview um because in the reason it's shocking is because like you're here to get a job that you say you want like did you think about <laughs> like, what you're gonna you know so and it's hard you know it's it's a hard statement to make but it's true and i also think that we don't always interview like we come to the interviews as interviewers with biases and desires and sometimes we're searching to like kind of check the box and get those met because we're really excited about what we're about to do and this person might look great on paper um, they might have like a really sexy like role that they worked, or you know, company that they worked for, and um, that doesn't—that's a narrow, a short-sighted way of kind of looking at, you know, the process.
0: Yeah, this next question I think leads us into point number two, but I want to ask you first um, because you point number two. So, oh, let's drive this home. Let's let's put a rope. Let's let's put a, a bow on that, and then I'll ask my question. So, data. What is a data-driven approach to uh, talent acquisition?
1: So, where possible, using the assessments to kind of look, you know, they are a, a safeguard to the shitty interview. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what you're not going to get from the interview, you're going to get in the assessment. And if you have someone who understands the process, you can extract a lot more, you know, um, predictions out of that than, um, you know, not using them. So where possible, use that. Um, I also think it's a really good idea to get clear on, you know, competencies. What am I looking for in this role? Have we like listed them out, not even just in the job description, but have we kind of define what this looks like? If we're saying that this is what we're looking for, how do you ask an interview question that gets at, you know, if you can't use assessment, how do you ask the questions or even if you can really, that gets at what this is looking you know what we're looking for so that there's some you know science and data approach behind there and at minimum if you don't have the resources for those things i would be you know i don't know if people still do reference checks but i'd be doing a lot of that you know the best prediction of performance is how they've showed up in the past uh to some degree so really digging through those references and asking good questions of those folks who are probably biased as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So get as many not, get as many unbiased or limited biased opinions as you can, which would come out of assessments, could come out of references, understanding your biases. What, you know, what is it that's influencing your decision or your desire to make a decision either way? And that can be, there can be so many variables there. It's, it's insane. Um, so my next question is: I want to talk about what, what, to, how do you, how do you view or what do you think about trial periods with a new hire? Like you're coming in and you have a 90 day or 120 day period where you're here to make some. You you know your results are clear, your targets are re- are clear, but you're here to make something happen to help us decide whether or not you're a permanent fixture on the team?
1: I've never even thought about this. So that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. My impulse was to say, like, no thanks. Um, But then again, I like the idea of doing the dance together and figuring it out and um, putting something on the line. You know, there. I don't know that we do a great job always of incentivizing performance. So, this is one way to do it. One could argue it's a weird pressure um, to put on, you know, a circumstance, but, you know, you could get at, you could really see what they're capable of. The question I'd have though is like, how do you get clear? Two questions back at you. <laughs> how do you get clear on? the expectation, like super crystal clear on the 90 day expectations because that can backfire. And then second, this is a, you know, like a bigger question is whose responsibility, who is more responsible or where does the responsibility lie in the management of talent? Is it in the person, is it in the employee or the leader?
0: What do you mean by that? Help me understand that question. What do you mean by the second question? I've got an answer for this, or I've got a, a response, rather, for the first one, but help me understand the second one.
1: So, you know, like, if I'm an employee in an organization and I'm unhappy, or I'm lost and I'm floundering, Yes. Where is the responsibility, you know, I'm sure it's not one or the other, but, like, what is the responsibility from each party, and does one have more? God. Based on their position or and I think that this kind of matters in your question too.
0: Oh, it totally matters. So here's why I ask. This is this is very, very present for me right now. I'm working with a client um who uh, I'm I'm I am coaching the hiree um who is in currently in a ninety day period.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And there is um they're exploring and they, you know, they don't quite know where they're at with in result to the 90 days. They don't know where they stand with the company, but they're giving it everything they've got, or seemingly they say they're giving it everything they've got to make this thing work in the 90 days so that they could be a permanent fixture in the leadership team. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was interesting for me is first, was the qu- first question you're so on point because the first question you asked is. How do we make those results and those aims so fucking clear that mm-hmm. there is no question whether or not you're making it happen or not? right? And mm-hmm. that it's a it's a powerful question. I think it can be done, but I think it's gonna it takes a lot of intention and a lot of attention and focus in order to outline those in a way that there's not a bunch of nuance, you know, all of that sort of stuff,
1: yeah. Not to mention, like, if I'm coaching someone going into a role regardless of this, you know, arrangement or not, the, I'm typically telling them to spend the first 60 to 90 days listening and figuring shit out, you know, like, don't go in guns blazing with something sure. to prove. You well, know, You have to go in and you have to, like, it takes time to establish relationships, understand the players, Yeah, you know really get a handle on the strategy and what you're trying to accomplish there. So yeah, so it doesn't mean you can't do this exercise, but it's like, I don't know, what be, goal, what's the aim?
0: Be clear. Well, I, yeah. do, I do love your first response. I love that there's something on the line. Mm-hmm. I love that we get a chance to dance together. Like yeah. we get a chance to like, see when stress rises, where do you go? Yeah. You no. Know, and and how do we deal with that? And how does it incorporate into the culture? And you know, all of the all of like, how does personality work between me and who I report to and who who reports to me? You know, all of that sort of stuff. So it's. It, I think there is a. I I believe there is a a benefit to it. it. It just my my encouragement or or at least what I'm learning is it has to be so intentional and so clear on what the aim and the goal is that everybody has to be in agreement. Life is not fair, it's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair, it's what you negotiate. Now that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now, the possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset, are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, wouldn't you wanna be very clear on how you negotiate, what's effective and what's ineffective, what your strengths are and what your blind spots are. It is after all, producing all the results in your life. So here's the deal. We put together a 15 question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations. This simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want in every aspect of life. Go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now, or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody. You can thank us later. Now back to the show. Your second point is so on point too because so what what we discovered in my first coaching call with this person is that the aim was unclear she didn't understand where she stood and she didn't know i and my question was okay what is success at the end of the 90 days are you clear on that no i i'm not clear on that um so she just you know it could have been whoever's supervising this process They could have eaten a bad burrito for lunch Mm -hmm. when they made, you know and then make the decision whether or not she's on permanently or not and and you know i don't know so Mm -hmm. um so that that wasn't gonna set either of them up for a successful exchange in this way the other one the other point that you brought up which is so great is if it didn't work where is the responsibility lie right exactly and that's a powerful question because You know on both ends of this experience both of them are have complaints about Mm -hmm. where they hadn't been set up for success in the exchange right and so anyway it's it's an interesting question i think i'm I'm really playing in this space right now for me because i am right in the middle of it coaching and i'm really working to analyze for myself is this a helpful practice in general, or is it a detrimental practice in general?
1: It feels a little trappy, um, but I'm also, like, I'm also a proponent of, you know, like your point, you know, like, someone could very well go on the opposite end of, like, the whole listening tour notion and just use that as a card not to show up because you have the novelty card for, like, you know, six to 12 months, sometimes people, you know, play that. And sometimes it's okay to use strategically, I get it, but it can also be used as something to hide behind. So I do like the notion of, you know, having, um, but, you know, I don't like the idea of like manufactured stress either. But back to this, back to this notion of, uh, But, (laughs) but what I would say is like, to back to the question though is like do you who if that didn't work out well from a coach's standpoint you all you can do is encourage her to go seek clarity that's all you do and that's been working but would if it didn't work out would it truly have been who would have had more responsibility if there is such a thing
0: So we're really talking about who owns the clarity piece of this kind of trial period, Mm -hmm. right? Which is such a rabbit hole tangent to what we were going to talk about, but I think it's great. I think (laughs) it's, I think it's really valuable.
1: Not just the trial period, but just like the, 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 all of it, the engagement. In general.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's my answer. My answer is if I'm talking to the leadership, it's their responsibility if I'm talking to the uh, candidate or the talent, it's their responsibility. Yeah. Meaning my approach is always gonna be both of you have 100% of the responsibility to make sure you're clear on what you're working towards. Yeah. Um, Because I I actually, you mentioned parent-child relationship or similar, and I think that's a dangerous setup. Yeah. And I get, I think what I hear you talking about is like intrinsically the leadership has an authority or a a decision-making power over the future of the relationship and over the future of this person's income and all of that sort of stuff. So that it puts them in a different position. Um, But I would always in every conversation, and this is what I've done in this position, in in this specific scenario where I both to get to coach the the talent and make some recommendations to the leadership. And that's exactly what I did is I told her when I was with her, you are a hundred percent responsible for getting clarity around success for you. Yeah. Um, and if you're unclear on anything, go after clarity at all cost. Yeah. And then my recommendation to the leadership was, you guys are responsible for being clear with her about what a win would be.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And so um, I, I don't think it's either or, like you were saying, I think it's it's both equally and yeah. both at 100%, not both 50-50.
1: Yeah, people need to know what success looks like and how do I win here, you know, yes. that to be really clear. I'm curious, what about, I mean, other than the obvious, is like, you know, we're not parents and children, but what about that, like, feels dangerous to you?
0: Um, I think it, it sets up, um, have you read, have you read the book Courage to be Disliked?
1: No, because I started, but that format of writing is, a uh...
0: so honest. I love it. Well, <laughs> one of the concepts that's brought out in that book, which it really is powerful to me is where we set up hierarchies in our life. Where and where we're willing, because of the hierarchy, we're willing to give away our tasks. That this is their language, not mine. We're willing to give the the. We're we're willing to give the responsibility of our tasks to other people, or we're willing to take the responsibility of other people's tasks, because of the hierarchy that we've placed ourselves into. Yeah. Um, and I get there's hierarchy in an organizational chart my encouragement to anybody is not is to go in not believing that anybody is above or below you mm-hmm. but you're all linear working towards a vision and i think that's the danger in the parent child viewpoint is that it automatically puts you we're not employing children we're employing human right. beings we're employing talent um who is we're bringing them on because of what we believe they can contribute to our teams yeah. and so that's what i that's the that's the danger I find is like yeah. i you could be like, oh, but it's not my fault i'm I'm the child I'm the you yeah. know I'm looking to you for the answers,
1: yeah, I think that's I think that's right I mean to you know now that you describe where you're coming from and I think that's also like what we're coaching in people when we think about confidence and assertion, like you don't, you know, like own this, this person isn't someone, you know, Um, but at the same time, I would say that that is the goal and that is the end state. A lot of people have need to like, we need to help them internalize that. You know, like from the leadership perspective, like, they're looking at you for this and from the employee perspective they want this from you and if there's any uncertainty about that to you know your earlier point like get after it cuz your work your job and your livelihood depends on it so yes i like that i do think yeah this notion of power is um an interesting one maybe one i think too much about now that now that you've like pointed it out that way
0: yeah well it's interesting i think I think we stumbled about uh, upon something that we're both very interested in, and I hope people are as well. But so the the second point is having a dev plan uh, for onboards. You know, again, in this essential practices for talent management, and this is exactly what we're talking about. That's why the question came up for me: is how do we develop them into the position in a way that sets them up for success? We've already defined, well, success has to be defined. It has to be clear. Um, That's probably number one, but what else did you want to add there?
1: Yeah, define it, make it clear. I mean, to the degree that you can put it in, you know, a 60, 90, 120 day plan, that's great. Sometimes that's hard and that gets tricky and and it could be a fluid iterative process. But the development plan, it doesn't have to be something fancy. you know i've seen all the most beautiful templates in the world but and then some of them make sense and some of them don't but i think it needs to be you know like what are the three things that i'm passionate about that i add value that leverage my strengths that create you know create results and make an impact here and then what are the actions that support those couple of things yeah. Without Yeah. that it gets it gets convoluted. Like, we take, you know, we'll take on a lot. We ended up, we end up just kind of going at all angles, doing a lot of a little bit of everything. And then you never have, you know, focus or time to get anything done well. So, defining them is really important. And then tracking them, you know, like, we create development plans and then we put them away in our desktop or our drawer and we don't talk about them again. But, um, you know, I would say at least, like, a bi-monthly or quarterly one-on-one should be about, like, what did you say you were gonna do? And how is that going? And, you know, what's working, what's not? And, and coming from that angle. But we get caught in the hustle and bustle of just, like, what's your task list this week or next week? And how is it coming along? And it just doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I would I would up to Annie to what you're saying and encourage real time feedback as it relates to the dev the dev plan. If you're willing to like in the moments of interacting, finishing projects, uh, having whatever, like don't wait for the review. Don't wait for the set time. Give the feedback immediately. But you can't do that if it's too complex. I, I loved your suggestion of three items. I saw I saw a 90-day dev plan the other day and it was like 5 pages long. And it was like I, I don't know. I I don't know if this is effective because I think there's too much to track here.
1: Yeah. Um
0: yeah. I think that this is too complex to follow up on.
1: I liked I liked when I've seen the onboarding checklist which is more of like Hey, these first like three months is just a tactical exercise and getting your stuff up to, you know, like getting you on the platforms and, you know, that's cool. Mm If that turns into the 90 day, you know, plan, it's not, it's kind of, it feels, you know, just like a to-do list that, um, isn't all that engaging. So I don't know, it really matters what's on the plan. I also think to your point about feedback, you know, Part of what makes people really successful in organizations is like the fit and their ability to immerse themselves in the culture, establish relationships with their colleagues, um, you know, and just like really get inundated in the, the work and the vision and the mission and the culture. And to that, I would say somewhere in the development plan, the onboarding plan, or the development plan, calling out the performance behaviors and attitudes that are in alignment with what you... who you say you are and what you're trying to do, and when they're... and even and then when they're not, too... Yes. ...is a really critical part of, you know, inviting and immersing someone into your world and keeping them there and making sure they understand what it means to be there and how and you understand them and their experience of being there. And, you know, there's a lot of richness into that whole process that I think we basically never do. I think we invite people on and we say, hey, these are our, it's our mission statement and here's our values and generally here's what they mean. And then it it's like that's the, yeah. the last we hear about that until there's another, you know, all hands or.
0: Yeah. You know, our- it's, the, it's the shit or d'oeuvre principle, right? Are we willing to, are we willing, you say call out. I think I know what you mean by call out. I I encourage get curious about, right? Um, so when you notice it and it's small and it's the first little incident where it's like, hmm, I'm not really sure that what they just did aligns with our values. I'm going to check in with them. Mm-hmm. I want to find out what's going on or you know maybe they did maybe they misunderstood how we put into action our core values or maybe they you know whatever but i'm going to check in and let them know that something's off and i want to know you know how could we create more clarity about it how can we set them up for success around that principle you know all of that sort of stuff and it guess it takes time right. it takes less time than most leaders make up it does especially if it's an ongoing conversation But you know what takes a ton of time is when it's a shit buffet and you've got to pick apart everything they've been doing over the last three months that you haven't addressed and it's now to the point where it's either go or change completely.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, where that comes from is, like, this notion of, um, you know, cultivating and developing culture is such, like, a big... And be like it's a you know big, ambiguous task. It's kind of like, you know, metaphysical. <laughs> like how do we embed a belief system and an attitude and a way of being into these people? And to your point exactly, you have to be talking about it kind yes. of, you know, frequently. Like and you could and get curious, but I would also say not call out in like a, you know, a harsh you're doing this or that, but definitely recognizing and celebrating when it's working so we can have examples of that you know that embodiment and what that looks like but if if it's not yeah start with curiosity but like bring it like bring attention okay. call attention to it like bring it to the table um, because people want to say like I don't know why this isn't like grabbing or not because it's not just an exercise that you put you know in the job description, you have to like work at it and ingrain it into the behaviors of the organization and that's a lot harder.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And and that's what I sensed you were saying when you said call out. Um, some people take that, some leaders take that and it's like all I have to do is like snap or get after them or whatever, which is the, you know, that's not gonna be healthy in a long-term relationship. So number three, is you talk about building a bench um, and for growing a team's uh, skill set, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, would love to just hear what your thoughts are there.
1: I didn't even know I forgot that I wrote that. So oh, yeah. <laughs> you said
0: <laughs> being clear, being clear on who's working on what beyond yeah. the cultivation of engagement and retention. Yeah, how are you growing the organization? What's in it for them? What, uh, what does it tie to the, how does it tie to the vision?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, it's like, so we started our, we started our conversation with like initially creating a lot of focus and clarity and then like a consistent checking in on that. Not, not just at your typical like weekly one-on-one of task list. How's it going? But, you know, checkpoints of what do you say you're going to do? Is it happening? What's getting in your way? What's not sort of thing? Um, ongoing feedback, both real time and I think, you know, scheduled time. And so once you've got like an established team to keep them engaged is also a feat, you know. But that again is just about how are you doing? What are you excited about? You know, where's your energy? Um, where what do you want to grow into? I really love the idea of um leveraging people's like unique strengths and interests and kind of tying those to the overall strategy map you know what what your company is doing and who can contribute where because two things you people need to know their contributions are making an impact to the overall goal um you know i think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that people are more selfishly motivated than they are. But when they're in a job, when you're in a job, you want to know you're doing a good job. You know, you want to make, most people want to make an impact. And then secondly, um oh, I forgot what my secondly was. Where's their opportunity for like, you know, creativity or excitement or passion, you know, in addition to sure. to get done, like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to grow? Um, and I think sometimes we avoid those conversations because we're a little you know, narrow or limited in, me- in thinking like, if I ask that, then I have to create something or then I have to like offer something, whether that's money or an opportunity that I don't know exists, but that's not necessarily the case.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. So, um... I was I was in a conversation, I'll tell this story real quick and then we can wrap it up. I know we've gone a little bit longer. A um, lot of gold in this conversation. Obviously, we had a lot to say about some of this <laughs> stuff. Um, I was on a, in a conversation with a founder yesterday who uh, owns a tech company, uh, been around for a few years, about 110 employees, and just really making a mark in the industry that they're in, They're software. Uh, it, anyway, I won't go into the details. Uh, and I, I was chatting with him and I just said, Hey, what do you, what do you attribute the success to? Like, how did you grow the way that you've grown in such a relatively short time and, you know, really own a market that has kind of been stale for a while. And he's a young, young founder. I think he's younger than me. Um, and really in tune, I, I loved the conversation I was having with him. And he said, he 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 answered immediately very, very quick, and he said, I attribute it to one thing, building a place where people, when they walk in, they say, I love working here. Uh-huh. He said, I knew if I focused on that, that the innovation, that the, you know, all of the things that I desired for a growing, you know, company, they would take care of themselves if people walked in here and said, I love working here. I'm a better person for working here yeah. being here. And... I think that's, that illustrates the number three point that you're talking about, is if your aim, if your focus is towards how do we create a place where people love being, um, and that they're, they're, you know, they're called up to something greater than they ever thought they could be, which is ultimately what we love, yeah. and that's what's gonna result in the love of working here, then, uh, then you don't have to worry about much else. Because the people will show up, the talent will show up.
1: I will say, the people who really say they love what they're doing and it's genuine is so much. It's such a small percentage compared to the people who, you know, are communicating. They really enjoy the work. So uh, you know, I want to get in the mind of that leader and say, well, what you know? How do you do that? Yep. And what are the elements to that? And I bet he's paying attention. I bet he's, you know, creating a pretty, like, safe, open and inclusive environment. Um, but I'd love to know, you know, what are the other practices? Like, one or two uh, two other quick thoughts right there. That guy is taking... is probably being really thoughtful about how he's setting up this environment. And I think that's where I get back to, like, the the hang-up with the power thing is, like, what I tell employees all the time, which I think is true, and this is where our responsibility, you know, your responsibility becomes really important, is like no one's looking out for you like you think they are. Mm-hmm. You think that people are thinking about your career and your development probably more than they are. And sure. you think it should be because and you know, I agree with you, they ought to be if this is their business and they're using you as a partner to make it work. You know, you'd hope that they're just thinking about how to get the best out of you. But I don't actually see that as much. And for good reason, because there's there's so many other pulls at a leader, as, at a founder, an entrepreneur of, like, making the business happen. Mm-hmm. So I think where I land is, like, if you're an employee listening to this, you have to be clear on what you want. Mm-hmm. You have to go after... Don't give that power or responsibility away, to your point, that's a really good one. At the same time, if you're listening to this as a leader and you're, and you're feeling, which might be very well possible, like, I, there's more I can get out of them. It's a little sleepy over here sometimes. I'm seeing some things and I'm not sure what to make of them. Like go get after it you know like why not your business depends on it you know and i don't i don't feel like i see that excitement from people from like the higher ups to be like i'm more so hearing like you know work ethic or motivation complaints and i'm like i don't know that that's true
0: yep i agree all right great thoughts let's stop it there all right Uh, and by the way we're gonna get to i think we're gonna get to hear the uh the what's in the mind of that founder because I've invited him to be on the podcast and he's accepting So it'd be pretty interesting. So anyway, Caitlin, thank you so much. This has been fun.
1: As always.
0: All right, we'll talk soon. Bye bye everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday, we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening and until next week, bye-bye everybody.